This morning we will be starting in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7, the revelation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ unto the church of Philadelphia. Starting in the seventh verse of Revelation chapter 3, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of the heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we gather this morning to get into Your Word, Lord, and we come to this text here, and we find a church that You are proud of. Lord, I pray that You will make Witten Place Baptist Church a church You're proud of. I pray that You'll strengthen us in this time of adversity in this time of wickedness as it plagued the nation, this is not a perfect church, Lord. We know this, but it's a church you're proud of. I want to be a pastor that you're proud of. I want to be a member that you're proud of. And I want to faithfully serve you. And one day hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. May this be all of our cry and all of our call. Feed us this morning from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was reading this morning about a, pe a preacher who had died before the turn of the century, we spoke about him previously. It was a preacher, pastor by the name of Henry Ward Beecher. He was well known for his activism. He was well known for preaching against things in which were against the Word of God. He was well known for preaching against slavery. He was well known for preaching against women's suffrage and, and that all people were created equal. He was well known in his day that all men and all women should have the same rights. What was interesting this morning in his biography that was written on him was that in this biography, it recounted a time in which Henry Ward Beecher was young. 
the teacher of his class was very stern, very strict. And as he entered into the school on his first day of school, the teacher asked Beecher a very simple question, and he asked him to stand before the class and give the answer. As he stood before the class and gave the answer, the teacher said, no, sit down. You're completely wrong. He asked another student in the class to stand and give the answer. The student stood in the class and gave the same answer. The teachers again said, what are you? Are you an idiot? Sit down. This is not the answer. He did this the third time, and then he did it the fourth time. And constantly, time after time, he rebuked the student. Then he came back to Henry Beecher and said, would you like to stand before the class and give the answer? Henry Beecher at this point stood before the class and gave the same exact answer as he had given before. When the teacher had commanded Henry Beecher to sit down, he said, I will not sit down. I will stand because this is the correct answer. The teacher said, finally, this is what I've been waiting for, someone who was willing to stand for truth. The church in Philadelphia is this church. They are the one who will continuously, though the world is oppressing down upon them, though the world sees the Bible in their hands, they're looking to hear your lips give a different answer. How many times have we seen this even in our nation today as we cling to the word of God? The world knows exactly what the word of God says about the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet they look to us and they ask us questions and say, well, don't you think that there is another way? I mean, don't you think that I'm partially right too? The Church of Philadelphia would stand and say, I will not sit down. This is the only way. In our study here of these churches, I've tried to give the historical background of the church that we are studying and hopefully trying to see that the context helps us better understand the content in which our Lord and Savior was writing unto the church in Philadelphia in an attempt to deepen our understanding of what is happening in this age. Not only to the age of the church of Philadelphia, but to the churches of the church age in which we live in today. Though the other names may not have made much sense to us, like when we read about Pergamus, this is not a familiar name to us, Thyatira, Laodicea, Sardis, these names are foreign to us. Philadelphia is a familiar name to us. We have, even in our own, our own country, a city in Pennsylvania which is named Philadelphia, which we always step back and say that is the city of brotherly love. Its beginnings, its origin, its name comes all the way back here to the church at Philadelphia. Its name is surrounded by two presiding kings who just happen to be brothers. It is believed that Eumenes, King Eumenes II, who was the king of Pergamum, Pergamus, founded this city. Eumenes had a younger brother whose name was Attalus II. Some of the leaders in Rome, while Eunimus had traveled off to Greece, 
he was away in Greece, some of the leaders of Rome wasn't really big fans of King Eumus, so they came to Atlas and told him that his brother had been assassinated. Atlas then ascended to the throne, and as he was ruling upon the throne, lo and behold, his brother had returned back from Greece alive. These people who had stirred up all of these troubles from Rome tried to convince Atlas, listen, the people love you, everybody loves you, Rome wants you to be king, why don't you just go ahead and overthrow your brother? You know the entire nation and city will follow after you. But Atlas Philadelphus loved his brother. And he loved his brother so much that he stepped down from being king so that his brother could take the throne again. This is the city of brotherly love. Because Philadelphus loved his brother more than a title. When we look at this church, this church in Philadelphia, the church in the city of brotherly love, just some 30 miles away from Sardis. We see that it is a city that is strongly family-oriented. Yet, unfortunately, in 17 AD, the same earthquake that shook Sardis is the same earthquake that destroyed Philadelphia. There was such destruction in Philadelphia around 17 AD that the king had ordered that all of the people in Philadelphia would not pay tribute for the next five years. The financial backbone of Philadelphia was that they had the most amazing vineyards in all of the known world. They had volcanically rich soil that enriched the ground, and they had the greatest vineyards of all. And while it seemed nice that King Domitian had given them a break, that they wouldn't have to pay tribute for five years, after he gave that decree, then he turned around and ordered that all of the vineyards be ripped up in Philadelphia so that Rome could have the greatest vineyards of the known world. This is a heartbreaking situation. These Philadelphians not only feeling broken, but now they feel betrayed by their leader. Not only are they broken, not only are they betrayed, but the economy is broken. Further insight to what Philadelphia was like, it was called the gateway to the east. And it was also called Little Athens because of all of the amount of temples that were there to do worship. This is the condition in which these people would receive this letter from the Lord. Betrayed, broken, temples on every side, yet this church brings some of the greatest encouragement to us. This text brings some of the greatest excitement to us, uh, really, of all the seven churches. Because this is a love note from our Lord to, to His church. They say that July is National Family Reunion Month. You could say the Church of Philadelphia lived in a state of a one-day coming reunion with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was all that mattered to them. It's all that they cared about. They were passionately about looking forward to seeing the Lord one day. I think when we naturally think about a church that 
pleases the Lord, we think about a perfect church. When we think about a church that the Lord is proud of, we're thinking about a church full of a, a, of a bunch of pious people who do not sin. Yet that is not the case at all. How do we know this? Because there's only been one perfect person perfect who's ever walked the face of this earth, and that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because of our understanding of what a church means, ecclesia, a local called out group of assembled believers, we understand in the simple reference unto the church of Philadelphia, in Philadelphia, write these things, that we have a local group assembled body of believers are, who are not perfect, yet the Lord is proud of them. It is an encouraging thought process to think that even in the midst of all of my mistakes, that even in the, the midst of failures, that God can be proud of us. That God can be proud of, not of our sin, but that God can be proud of the fact that we are striving to be like him that we are striving to do his work, that we are striving to labor for him. Listen, there is no open remarks against this church from our Lord. This is not like the church of Laodicea who was lukewarm and the Lord said, I will spew you out of my mouth. This is not like Pergamus who had the seed of Satan. This is not the church of Sardis who had a name that was living but was dead. The church of Thyatira who had that wicked woman Jezebel. This is a church who was little. They were weak, but they were so much to the Lord. There is something for us to understand that even though the church of Philadelphia had issues, though they warred with Satan, though they struggled with Satan, they were not perfect yet. They wholeheartedly recognized that they were not perfect and yet loved serving the Lord. It is a reality to us that at times as we serve the Lord, sometimes our own failures discourage us from wanting to take another step of faith. Our own mistakes as we try to serve the Lord. Why did I say that? Why did I think that? Why did I do that? It prevents us from wanting, even, wanting to even to go follow the Lord wholeheartedly because we say, all I'm going to do is make mistakes. Yet, the Lord says, I know you have Little strength, but yet he was proud. You little strength. There ain't many of you. You can't do much. You may not have a grand scale. You may be little in strength. You may be little in number, but you're doing exactly what I've called you to do. No one is perfect. No one, as I said, has walked this earth perfectly, save our Lord. So it is to say that the Winton Place Baptist Church can be a church that the Lord is proud of and still struggle with the things of this life. Let's look ourselves and try to catch a glimpse of the words that the Lord had delivered unto the church of Philadelphia and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, in verse 7 here, write these things, saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. We have here the Lord painting a portrait of the church of Philadelphia's king unto his people. He is conveying his attributes to the people in 
Philadelphia. We need to understand something in this. That our view of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is directly connected into how we live our Christian life. How we view our king and how we follow our king is directly connected to the view of it all. Remember back in, I think it was when Josiah heard the word of the Lord in 2 Chronicles. In the 24th chapter, the Bible says, And when he had broken down the altars and the groves, and had beaten the graven images into powder, and cut down all of the idols throughout all the land of Israel, he returned unto Jerusalem. You see, he then returned unto Jerusalem. And because of all of Israel had seen exactly where their king Josiah had stood for. Do you know what that brought about in Israel? It brought about revival. There was a clear depiction exactly who the king was. When we think about, and we just covered this in um, Sunday school, when we went through the life of Jonah, the Bible says in the book of Jonah in chapter 3 and verse 6, then, that then the king of Nineveh laid down his robe. Then he declared the fast. Then the people covered themselves with ashes. It was a clear view of how the king of Nineveh viewed sin. It was a clear view of how the king of Nineveh heard the word of the Lord. And the Lord in conveying this message unto them, it is a clear message how the Lord is conveying the king's image to the children of Philadelphia. The first part of this is that he says, he that is holy. This is the declaration to them that he is God. He is holy in his character. He is holy in his words. He is holy in his actions. Our king is holy. Why is this so important? This is so important because of what we just took in about their current condition. This is important to a society who felt betrayed by their earthly king. This is important to a society who felt that their king's actions were not correct. You say you love us, we don't even trust your judgments. You say you love us, but you tore our vines up. You say you love us, you canceled our tribute, but now look what you've done upon us. The Lord says, my actions are holy. My actions are just. While you question your earthly king's picture, you don't ever have to question mine. I am holy, holy. He tore down their main source of livelihood. This is important to a society who feels like their king had forsaken them in their time of need. We have to face this in growing times of frustrations with leaders, with rulers of this land. But the reminder is to say that the Lord, he is holy in all that he does. There is no worries to concern yourselves with, with the decisions that he has made. He is altogether holy. He is also not only holy, but the text says unto the angel of the church of Philadelphia, these things saith he that is holy and he that is true. Remember, as we just said, that this church is called, or this city is called Little Athens because of all the temples, because of all the false deities. 
what the Lord is painting unto the church at Philadelphia is that not only is he holy, but he is the one that is true. What does this true mean to us? You know, we live in a society today where if you go to the gas station and pay for gas and cash, they pull a marker out and draw it across the dollar bill to make sure that you're not ripping them off. We live in an age of counterfeits. But the only reason that they draw the marker across the face of the dollar bill is because they want to make sure they have the real thing. And the only reason that there's a counterfeit is because there is a real thing. The Lord's message unto the church of Philadelphia is not only am I the holy king, but I'm the true king. While you guys are surrounded in a city full of temples, they are all counterfeits and they only exist as counterfeits because I am true. I am the genuine one. I am the original. I have not been manufactured. I am not a copy. I am the one who is alone holy. He goes on to say that he is not only the one that is holy, he is the one that is true, and he that hath the key of David. Now, this is rich. This is so rich here. God's word is so rich. At first glance, we understand that we've understand through our own Bible study and history that Christ would come through the line of David. There is this messianic line here, but this text offers up so much more for us. Remember what he had just said about this earthly king who had ripped up their economy in which they lived by. He had taken their only source of living, their main source of living for them. Whenever we think of the word key, we think of authority. We think of control. We think of stewardship. We think of this person has the ability to open specific doors, the key of David. This is a reference to Isaiah chapter 22. I'll read the verse in 20, Isaiah chapter 22 in verse 22. I'll read the verse and then I'll give the context to the text. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulders, so he shall open, and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. In this text, the word of the God is, um, in the text, the word of God is speaking about a man named Eliakim who was the son of Hilkiah. At this time, Isaiah, in the time of Isaiah, when this was written, the king who is a familiar person to us, it is King Hezekiah. Eliakim, upon him, was given the key to the treasury of the house of David. This was a royal treasury. This was a treasury that had continued to grow to a massive amount of wealth since the time of David, and the access to all of this treasury, the access to all of this wealth, there was only one key, and that key was given to Eliakim, and he alone could open the door to access the wealth. Eliakim could make the decision in how he would distribute the wealth upon the people in Israel. Now, Eliakim had the key to that, which means he had authority of it. It means he had control of it. He could distribute it because he had the key of David. 
he had the authority to shut the door and lock everyone out of its resources, but ultimately he could open up this massive storehouse and pour it out. Now back to our text, Jesus says, I am the one that hath the key of David. The Lord is saying that unto the church of Philadelphia, things are looking kind of grim. Unto the church of Philadelphia, your financial structure has been broken. Unto the church of Philadelphia, things are really looking kind of grim about how you're only not only going to survive and, and feed yourself and how you're going to feed your family and where you're going to work. The only trade you knew the king of this earth had ripped up and taken away from you. But Jesus says, I am the one that has the key of David. I am the one that has access to all the treasures. I and I alone am the one who can open up the storehouses and pour out my rich blessings upon you. I am the one alone who has all of this wealth that you're worried about having. I alone hold the key. It is a reminder to the church of Philadelphia that he alone has access to the royal riches. There is a storehouse in heaven the Lord alone holds a key to. And he can open it upon those that are faithful to him. And he can close it upon those who are not. And he alone holds the key to the riches. It says, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. There is without a doubt a connection to be understood between this and the key of David. But understand something deeper here. When it comes to the omnipotence of God, who can overthrow judgments? When it comes to God's power, who can overpower God? Who can really overthrow the things which he has decreed? If he decides to open up the storehouses and pour it upon his people, who can hinder him from doing such a task? The Lord speaking here in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 13, he said, Yea, before the day was I am. Bef yea, before the day was I am he. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work and who shall let it? Meaning, I will work and who will reverse it? This ends with something glorious here. He that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth means that only the riches that are found with Jesus who owns the key. Not only is it for his riches to be poured out upon us, but meaning Jesus alone holds the key that gives us entrance into the riches. Meaning that he alone is the one that gives us entrance into the kingdom. The only way man could find entrance into the glorious kingdom is through Jesus Christ. Is that what the word of God says in John chapter 14 and verse 6? Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 10, 10 says, The thief cometh not for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. No man has ever opened the door and bid the lost sinner to come, save Jesus. No man has ever been able to give access to the kingdom, save Jesus. 
It was on his mind before the foundations of the world. It was on his mind before sin ever entered in the garden. And as we've spoken before in Revelations chapter 22 and verse 17, before the final page of all eternity is closed, we see the Lord again gives what? In 22, 17, he gives another final invitation. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, Come, and him that is a thirst, come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. It is this final invitation. This church that the Lord is proud of is reminding them not to worry in this dark hour. The Church is, the Lord is reminding the church in a time when it seems like finances are out of reach in a time when it seems like oppression is coming down upon you, in this dark hour, do not worry. I am still the one who is true. There is no one like me. I'm still the one that's holy. Don't you worry. I'm still the one who's just and judges sin. Matter of fact, he will soon tell the church in which we'll cover tonight. Matter of fact, these people who are seeking to oppress you, they will soon bow down before your feet. But he reminds them, when it comes to the thing that causes the deepest fear inside of us, how in the world are we going to survive? How in the world are we going to take care of our families? How in the world are we going to do this? The king of this land is taking away our abilities to do such a thing unless we cave and follow their system. The Lord reminds them, do not worry. I still hold the key of David. I hold the key to the treasury. You will be just fine. And in the end of it all, he says, and by the way, the belief here in this thought process is that he is the one that has opened the door as we'll even look at tonight. It has been made clear in this text that these people had began to preach the gospel. God was saving the Hellenistic Greeks that he was saving the Jews, he was saving everybody because these people stood firm upon God's word and would not waver. They would not waver against truth. That is the war today, is it not? The war is against truth. The war wants you to the world wants you to bend your truth. They want you to sacrifice here so that you can hold to their truth. But the Lord says, you have, in the end of this, he says, you have not denied my name. You have not turned from my word. You have not turned from my truth. And because of this, I will write my name upon you. I will erect a pillar with your name on it. I will write my God's name upon you, which we'll see more about tonight. But reminder, this morning, in closing here, in order to live a life that is wholly given to serving the Lord. In order to live a life that is passionately burning for Christ, we must first have the correct view of our Lord. We must first have the correct view of who He is. When we see who He is, we see who we are, and we will begin to praise the Lord that he would even look upon us and give his life for us. Let's pray. Oh, thank you, Lord, for opening the door and granting us access 
to the kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for opening the gates of heaven and pouring out your riches upon us, seeing that you alone have the key to pour out your blessings upon our life, that you alone are worthy of our praise. Be with us as we continue to study the studies in the churches, Lord, that we may glean from them what you have for us. Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen us, that we'll be able to be back here this evening seeking to learn more from your word. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.